Collectible, Dibs, Otis, Liquid Marketplace, once titans of the fractional ownership industry, now seem to all be on the struggle bus. Is fractional ownership dead and did it actually ever have a chance? We'll tell you what we think now. Hello, sports card investors, and welcome to another episode of Cards on the Table. We got a lot to talk about today. There's lots happening in the sports card market today, including Victor Wembenyama autos. We're going to get to those soon, but let's start with our first topic today, fractional ownership. There was so much hype and buzz about this, but there's some real signs right now about big cracks in the foundation, and what does this mean? for sports card collectors and investors. Teapot, you ready for this discussion? I'm ready. You got the karate chop energy on the intro. We're going. Lots of energy today. Ready to go. Big topics to talk about. You ready for this, Doug? I'm ready. Okay, well, let's get into this first one because a few years ago, fractional ownership seemed like the hottest segment of the booming sports card market. You saw companies like Rally Road and Collectible and Dibs and Otis and Liquid Marketplace and others all jumping in to the fractional ownership game. However, that doesn't seem to be the case recently. Collectible lost its CEO, Ezra Levine. He left for another company and uh, they've lost other senior leadership according to uh, some folks in the industry. In addition, some of their assets are apparently now going up for sale. Their website's not even working at the moment. So there's a lot of scariness potentially in terms of what's going on with Collectible. Um, Dibs obviously pivoted away from having their own fractional market uh, ownership marketplace a few months ago. And then you've got companies like Otis and Liquid Marketplace that at one point were spending tons of money on marketing, but neither their, their social accounts have gone quiet for the last several months. So we're not even sure what is going on with those companies. So Rally does, by the way, I should say Rally does still, still seem to have a pulse. They still seem to be doing things, but they're in a lot more other than just sports cards. Teapot, let me ask you, does fractional ownership have any type of future? Did it have any type of future at all? Was this a dead idea from the beginning? Well, first of all, if I couldn't log into a website where I had money tied up, I would be very frustrated. So that stinks. But I would say this was never about the cards from a hobby aspect. This was a purely financial thing. This was the thought that certain cards outpace the market over time, which we have for sure seen. So I want to buy into that and I can't afford a PSA 9 Mantle 52, so I'm going to get into a piece of it. I never really could get behind this because I felt like there were too many question marks. Execution was a little bit poor. The user experience on different apps wasn't quite there for me. I didn't always understand or for, for sure didn't agree with the valuations on cards when I was buying in. And it wasn't clear to me how or when I could get out. If all of this would be thought, thought about and kind of executed really well, I think that the top end cards, maybe like what Rally is doing, Rally Road, like where you have options to get into different things could make sense. But I can see how this is, the wheels are coming off of this because now you have to have like transactions happening over time to keep the business going. Gotta have liquidity. And cards are just coming yeah. down and down. And This is a long game. This should be a long game. And I would think about it like if I wanted to, it's like a 10 year bond and I wanna know what I'm gonna cash out in the future, or I wanna know when the sale point is gonna happen, or I wanna know somebody's managing an active portfolio and gonna seize the opportunity when they see something and hit it at the right time. These are all how you would think about your own personal investments in different capacities. 
in this, in terms of this, I would just rather have the direct control over the cards that I own and also have the opportunity to just hold them, look at them, admire them. Well, I, I agree with you there for sure. This was never really built for collectors. No. This was built for investors. This was built for speculators. This was built, built for people who wanted to get a piece of the high-end card market but didn't want to have to buy yeah. a million-dollar card on their own. So they buy a little piece of it and hope that that would go up over the course of time. And what we've seen over the last couple of years as prices have dropped is a lot of the investors have left the market. A lot of the, certainly many of the flippers, short-term speculators have left the market. You got a really strong collector base, but for a lot of collectors, this never interested them to begin with. Because if you're a collector, you generally, not always the case, but you generally want to hold the cards. Now, some people love to keep cards and vaults for safety and that type of thing. So they're not necessarily holding them, but at least at least they're fully theirs, yeah. uh, you know, and, and this was, that was not the case with fractional ownership. So Doug, did you ever dabble in this? Was this just dead to begin with? Yeah, I think it was really tough to begin with, honestly. Be Part of the reason is timing. This came, a lot of these companies launched this at probably the worst possible time when everything was at its peak. So anybody that did dabble in this were buying at peak prices and watching it just absolutely plummet. People yeah. were putting their money in, getting absolutely smoked, and probably swearing off fractional ownership for the future and never coming back to that space. I mean, you know, to an extent, it's kind of cool to say, you know, you own a piece of a 52 mantle, but do you really? I mean, you don't really you have nothing to show for it. You're just a name on a website. You don't get to go check it out in person. I mean, yeah. it's really equivalent to saying, you know, if you own some shares of Amazon yeah. stock, yes. oh, look, I own Amazon. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I own really? the Green Bay Packers, right. like people claim they right. do. Right. Sure. And that's not very exciting. And for a hobby that's based around collecting, you know, there, nothing beats having that in hand. So there are some perks to playing around financially with, with that space now that it's in a more stable spot for sure but for me it's all about collecting and then investing so i've got to have the product in hand so this is not something that's ever really going to appeal for, to me i did jump around in that space a little bit when they were offering cool promos yeah. and you know you can get a free pack here and there whatever the case may be um so i you know i did play around at very very small numbers but it, was, it never really appealed to me because i never actually had anything to show for it yeah this honestly guys it, it was one that i got wrong i thought as the market was booming i was very optimistic about fractional ownership. I thought that this did provide that way for people to jump in and speculate on the performance of big cards. Market was overheated. Yeah. Timing was off, as you that's said. All, that's what it was. I got it wrong. I got it wrong. It's, you know, I obviously had invested in dibs and I, I didn't do any business with the others, but I liked the space. I thought it was intriguing. Collectors didn't agree. And I, I you know, at least some of these are not existing much longer anyway. So it's going to be part, more so part of the history of sports cards and sports cards past rather than sports cards present, at least at the moment. We'll see what the market does in the future. Now, one thing I did not get wrong, guys, was Pristine Auction, who's having yet another incredible card auction this week. They have right now for sale in their weekly card auction a Mike Trout one-of-one one autograph from 2018 Topps Luminaries, his Hit Kings autograph black. You do not see Mike Trout one of ones on the market very often. That is on pristineauction.com right now. What do you have your eye on? There is a 2019 Panini Majestic Capstones Jersey Auto, number to 49 of my guy Patrick Mahomes. Very cool card. If you can't quite afford getting into an RPA, next best thing, look at a PA, a patch auto from a different year. There we go. I like it, Doug. I'm looking at a 2003 SP Michael Jordan Auto. It's a BGS 9.5 with an auto grade 10. I actually have never owned any Jordan autos before. So when I see them now, I'm like, how, how can I make this happen? I've got to have one at some point. 
It's probably gonna cost you a pretty penny, but you know what, Doug? It will cost you $10 less if you use promo code SCI when you register. Go to pristineauction.com, enter promo code SCI when you register, and you get $10 in free credit towards your first purchase at Pristine Auction. Teapot, next topic we're going to you. You did an interesting data dive this last weekend on the Market Movers YouTube channel looking at Prism gold prices. And you said a lot of things that made sense to me. You said some things that did not make sense to me. So we're gonna get into it now. So give the audience a little overview of what we're talking about. All right, we'll talk about where I was right and then where you're wrong, where you disagree. So I'm stacking up, and you know I love doing this, by the way, our database up to 1.7 million cards now. So we have tons of Prism gold data in here to look at. And I just got and went and dove in. And some of these things really surprised me, like, why is Anthony Edwards' Prism Gold to 10 in a PSA 9, $46,000, and Joel Embiid's is 19.7K in a PSA 10? The guy who just won the MVP. These things are head scratchers. So I thought this was a fun comparison to stack up and look at, okay, Ant-Man, Booker, Trey, Embiid, uh, Jalen Brown, and then Lillard, 2012, the iconic yeah. Prism set. First year Prism. PSA 10, yeah. Gold to Ugh. 10, Lillard is the cheapest of those. Lillard is 6K less than Trey. That's surprising to me. I can actually, so I'm going to argue with you on that. I can actually understand Lillard being 6K less than Trey. And the reason why it's all about future career potential. I mean, Lillard, he's probably reached the prime and is probably now on the other side of that. And he sure seems committed to being stuck in the basketball wasteland that has been Portland now for several seasons. And, you know, perhaps his whole career will be there. Who knows? Which isn't interesting to people who might be speculating on his cards going up in the future. Trey Young's still young. Trey Young's still got a lot of prime to go in his career. And although the Hawks at the moment don't look like they got that future path. They at least made the playoffs. And, um, you know, who knows? Maybe there's maybe there's some future potential there, whether it's in Atlanta or not in Atlanta for Trey Young. So I understand that one. Embiid makes absolutely no sense, I agree. Ant-Man makes absolutely no sense, I agree. It looks like you're looking here at other ones, too. I got another fun comparison, okay. and I obviously want to hear from Doug on yeah. this, too. Jaden McDaniels, De'Aaron Fox, Mikael Bridges, Brock Purdy, or Tyrese Halliburton, all hovering around 7K for their PSA, for their golds. Different grades here. When you guys look at these, which one would you rather have? And I know what Doug's going to say. Deer and Fox, and it's not particularly close. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of those make no sense. Like, how is Jaden McDaniels on that list? I don't know that's what ridiculous. happened there. I don't know if that's a super fan who had to have it or yeah, what. Yeah, how is a McDaniels PSA 10 the same as a Halliburton PSA? PS, oh, I guess that's a PSA 9. So I guess that. Well, the P- Halliburton's a PSA 9, yeah. so that explains that a little bit. But still, nonetheless, I yeah. mean, I agree that some of those comparisons make very little yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So the last thing I would, <clears throat> I would show is not all parallels are created equal either. And you've got the Mojo to 25, right? And then similar price points apply here. But then when you get into some of the other parallels, which are less sought after, like Teal Wave, Orange Wave, and the Green Pulsar, these go for much cheaper. Look at Trey at 300 bucks on the Green Pulsar to 25. Granted, it's raw, but 4.6K on the Mojo to 25. So you've talked about that in the past. I have. Be wary of parallels. Just because it's numbered doesn't mean it's the one that's going to have staying power in the long term. No. Yeah, that's interesting. Wow, very, very interesting episode. If you want to catch the entire thing, it's on the Market Movers YouTube channel. You should really be subscribed to that. Teapot's doing excellent videos, really breaking things down like that every Saturday morning for free on the Market Movers YouTube channel. And of course, if you subscribe to Market Movers, then you get all of this data 
at your fingertips. All right, guys, more great topics to discuss, such as Victor Wembanyama. I'm going to get Wembanyama. I am going to Wembanyama. I'm going to get used to saying this soon. Of course I am, because we're going to be talking about this guy every other damn show when he gets into the league for apparently the Spurs here soon. Uh, but we're going to talk about him next. First, a quick break. All right, guys, get yourself some Slab Strongs to protect your slabs and make them look even better at slabstrong.com. Promo code SCI gets you 10% off. Okay, first question today from our mailbag guy suggested from one of our YouTube viewers. What impact could Victor Wembanyama's autos have on the sports card market? Of course, you've got his autos now in Bowman Inception. It was also, we've seen, they're going to be in Bowman Chrome U as well. And we've seen, some of you have seen that circulating online, the image of him having autographed those and the inscription that he put on the very first one that yep. he ever autographed. Yep. How much do you think that thing's going to sell yep. for? People are going to be chasing that like crazy. Doug, I'm going to go to you first though. Are, are you excited? Are, are you excited about these to the point where you might actually buy and rip these products because his autos specifically are in them? Yeah, well, first of all, just to answer that, yes. But I think Bowman U already took a step forward with licensing. I think we saw that with this last football release. I think it was fairly popular. Caleb Williams' first Bowman is doing really well still uh, for parallels and autos. So I think just the licensing alone kind of cat catapulted that set a bit further. But now we're looking at Wimby. That's just, we can just call it right. Wimby. That's better. That's easier. If that's easier on What you. about uh, VW? Yeah, VW. So Wimbanyama will have autos in Bowman U. If they uh, follow suit with Inception and have Scoot and they have Caitlin Clark and they maybe have Brandon Miller or Amen Thompson, somebody like that, this set should be more desirable than the last three or so years of Prism. That's a better class yeah. than we've had in NBA Prism in, since probably 2019 as far as hype is concerned. So yeah, I mean, I think it's gonna be an affordable rip. I think it's, there's gonna be a lot of upside to this and I, I think it's a desirable product for sure. And by the way, I, I don't think this has been officially confirmed yet. I've heard rumors, and these are just rumors, not heard them from Fanatics or Talks, Tops, but I've heard rumors that, that Fanatics and Tops got the exclusive on Wemby Autos. Yeah. He will not have autos in Panini props. That would be wild. He will not have autos in Prism. And if you get official tops licensed basketball this fall, which there's also rumors that you will, wow, a lot of the attention in the market could suddenly shift to, you know, tops chrome and products like that this fall. That'd be really, really interesting. Are you excited about these products? Are you going auto chasing? Yeah, I'm pumped. I bought pre-ordered four boxes. Cool. We'll see what happens. I want to see how they hit the market afterwards. Here's my concern. A little bit of hot take or just I'm scared about this guy. Ooh. There, there is no player in NBA history who's been over 7'2", who's played more than 830 games. Okay, so 10 years of career, roughly. If you really want to be an all-time great, you better go for 20 or more, like LeBron. And people, hot take galore that drives me crazy, who's the greatest prospect of all time in any sport. It's ridiculous. I think they were saying that about Zion, they were, too, they were. To they say it about somebody every yeah. year, it seems like. I'm excited. I'm rooting for the guy. I will say I'm also really frustrated that my Pistons got pick number five. They were the yeah. losers of the draft. Well, they got you totally guys got number one. Who's been know. injured. And ah. so to that point with Wemby, I, I, 
I don't particularly like watching him play. That's my concern. It's a little awkward. He's like watching a giraffe move around the court. And I just worry about that and injury and him getting hurt and a leg just literally snapping in half and all of his cards tanking like Zion who can't stay on the court. So if you want to talk about the impact of Wemby Autos, it could be awesome. It could be catastrophic if the guy can't ever actually play basketball. He must not like watching Erling, Erling, Erling Holland play. Oh, either. I love I've him. I've got the kid on. How do you like Holland? How do you like Holland? You were talking about like a giraffe, like kind of. He's a monster. Why, 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 why do you like Holland? Holland's but not he, seven four with an eight foot you know, wingspan. Comparatively to the other soccer players, he is. It's like no. the same level of comparison. He's a joy to watch. <laughs> I, I can't believe we're writing off Wimbanyama's career already. Yeah, I, I, it's already been written off, guys. I'm sorry, worried. sorry that didn't work out. Sell your autos while you can. The next question suggested by one of our viewers. This is actually a great one. They want to know what will be the next Mickey Mantle level card. This past Sunday on, of course, the Sports Card Investor Channel, we did a detailed look at the most perfect copy of the 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle PSA 10 card of all time. If you haven't seen that video, it's a fabulous 10-minute watch. Go back and watch it from this past Sunday as soon as this one is over. But what's next? What card has the potential to be the next $50 million card if the value of the mantle is that right now? Uh, I'll start with you, Doug. What, 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 what is next? Where would you go with this? So, obviously, I'm not a huge vintage guy, and I'm absolutely not at all a baseball guy. Uh, so, people in the comments, feel free to tell me everything I'm getting wrong here. But I didn't even think that the 52 Mantle was like the card, the iconic card. I always thought it was the Honus Wagner, the T206 Honus Wagner with, you know, less than 50 authenticated copies. I thought that was it, right? So, to me, I didn't even think it was the Mantle. But to answer that question, I don't I don't think there can be another one. I mean, every generation going forward can have its version of that, but nothing will ever reach that level. You know, say this card is worth 20 or $30 million. I don't believe 50 personally. Say it's whatever, half that. Nothing reaches that ever again. You know, print runs are way too high. Quality is way too high. We're never going to have... Right now we have manufactured scarcity, right? One of ones are what you're chasing, but that's just because they stamped one of one on the card. Right. You know, that's not really that rare. It's just because we say it's that rare. So manufactured scarcity, the fact that quality is so much higher and PSA 10s are going to run rampant, we're not really going to have anything that ever reaches that again. So anything from the past? You got anything or you just you just passing on this? No, how can it? Like, you know, we've already established right. this is it. There's an answer, to, the, there's an answer to this question. Doug's just choosing not to, okay. answer, not to answer. You have the, let me see if you have the answer. I can I've tell you a, right or wrong. I've got a few ideas. Number one, I've got three different things quickly. One, there's only one PSA 10, Gaudi Babe Ruth from 1933, card number 181, has a PSA 10. I don't know if anybody knows where that is. I'm sure they do. I don't know where it is. I don't know that that card has ever hit the open auction. Interesting. That's a super rare one, obviously. It would be really wild, second scenario. This is a long shot, but it could happen that somebody just finds a immaculate copy of a card that doesn't have a 10 yet of a player like Jackie Robinson or Babe Ruth or Hannes Wagner or somebody, and somehow it lights the world on fire because of craze. The third scenario would have to be where something like soccer overtakes the market completely ah, and ding, a Pele ding, 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 ding. PSA 10 emerges from some closet in Brazil and lights the world on fire that way. If Pele became the greatest icon of the world over time or something, 
I don't know that that's going to happen or could happen, but that's the only other scenario. Well, the answer is not Pele. The answer is Messi. I mean, that's very clearly the answer. The 2004 Panini Mega Cracks Messi card. That, that you is, just bought. That is clearly the answer. <laughs> the pump the is time real. We're just pumping. All We're just pumping, pump. pumping. Wow. Wow. No, truthfully, I have not bought the card yet. I do not own the card. I intend to buy the card. Now, the only challenge is in PSA 10, there's 19, which is a little too high. If there were three, like the mantle, I would point squarely at that card and say 50 years from now, maybe, maybe. There's 19. That's a little tough. But if there was, let's say, a, if any of those cards crossed over to like a BGS black label or something like that, then, and if you had the one out of those 19. The other thing, too, is if you have AI grading take hold over the next 10 or 20 or 30 years, yeah. if, let's say, tag comes out... And and let's say people actually really buy into this and people start getting their 1986 Fleer Michael Jordan cards reevaluated. And then one of those cards yeah, it's a perfect gets the perfect thousand score from TAG and it's known that that is the most perfect copy of the 1986 mm. Jordan ever. That card, I think, could be 50 million. That, I mean, not today, not in today's dollars, but in the future, that card could maybe 50 years from now actually be more than the 52 Mantle if it were the one perfect copy hmm. according to AI grading, right? So that's where I kind of see things maybe down the road in the future, but uh, who knows? That 52 Mantle is a beautiful card. Certainly going to be hard to replace it. All right, guys, if you have any questions for us next episode, leave them in the YouTube comments below. And if not, just give us a like, just give us a subscribe, and go check out Market Movers. And uh, that's it, guys. I'm off to the Dallas Card Show, by the way. Me I too. Get... You? Nope. Uh, Teapot staying home, entering cards into our Market Movers database. Nerd. All right, well, I'll see you in Dallas, and we'll see you next time. Take care.